Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down the week that was for our NRLW and Jersey flag, as well as all the happenings across the, the league itself, my good mate 60s and Quint. Fellas, as always, good to have you on board. How's the week treated you? Well, mate, it was a good weekend. We got out to North Sydney Oval to catch the Eels Jersey flag team in their victory over the Panthers, consecutive week victory over the uh, over the Panthers. So, uh, yeah, great, great Saturday there. Uh, not so great result for the NRLW, but we'll have a bit of a chat about that. There's a few bits and pieces floating around about Parramatta. Uh, we've got Teamless Tuesday to talk. It's going to be a jam-packed episode again. Trying to squeeze uh, two podcasts into one, it's going to be a big episode. So looking forward to having a, a chat about all things Eels and NRL. Clint, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, lads. I mean... Um... It's uh, hard not to be excited about the prospects of our flag team, given the performance and um, and the uh, vein of form that they find themselves in at the moment. So uh, keen to get stuck into this one. And as always, before we get into the meat of the podcast, boys, a quick shout out to the sponsors of the show, which of course is Big Swing Golf, Northmead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Narellan, and Parramatta, making the tip sheet happen for each and every episode. Now, Sixties, I'll let you take over in just one sec. Well, fellas, we're going to begin with a bit of news that filtered through towards the end of the podcast last week, which was Gutho winning the Kenthornet medal. It was the second time that he received that medal. I just wanted to get your quick takes on that. Was there anyone that was unlucky? Was it any surprise? John? Yeah, I mean, it felt like it was a fairly competitive field this year. Um, We had a couple of guys like Bryce Cartwright having arguably career seasons and, and sort of, uh, uh, you know, put themselves in the frame. Uh, Reg, uh, Mitch, um, there's, a, you know, a few players there, but then injuries and suspension sort of uh, probably made the picture a little bit clearer and the guy that, you know, played so well for so long was a deserved winner. Yeah, Clint, uh, Jermaine Hopgood, would he have been considered unlucky? Yeah, look, you could make you certainly make a case for it, but uh, for him, but it's hard to go past the king. You know, he, he had a stellar year, and um, what was it nineteen tries that he ended up with in total? Uh, pretty pretty amazing um, um, tally for him to get that. I, I, that's by and far his best. I think his his next best season to that was something like fourteen or so. So, um, you know, it, it's not often that you see a, a fullback. Um, particularly the likes of, of, of the way in which we used Gutherson historically, um, score as many. And, you know, it wasn't just him getting over the trial and it was still setting up plenty and saving even more. So it was a great season from King Gus and a very deserved winner. And I think probably a lot of us will have 
burned in our minds the images of him basically playing on one leg in that final game of the season and attempting to stay on the field by banging his kneecap into place. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was uh, his uh, basically looked like a war horse with that last mm. performance. So it's impossible to argue with the, the attitude that he takes into games. He wants to compete. He wants to win. He wants to stay out on the field. He's, uh, you know, if you had, a whole lot of people with his attitude towards the game out there on the field at once, you're going to be a hard team to beat. Now, I've touched on it briefly in our introductions, but the Jersey flag had a week one finals victory over the Penrith Panthers at North Sydney Oval. The score was 30 to 20. Bit of a nervous start there, John. <laughs> Second week in a row. Yeah, a nervous start. slow starts against the Panthers for two games running, week uh, back-to-back weeks there. Uh, and, yeah, I wouldn't say I was worried after the slow start, uh, but it would be nice for both the team and all the supporters and the families of the players involved if they could uh, jump out <laughs> the blocks a little bit sharper. Uh, but, geez, there's no doubt in the quality of this team. Uh, they, they came back, and while the scoreline looks close, uh, Penrith weren't really in that game once the Eels took control after the opening exchanges. Yeah, Clint, you sent me a text message during the game and uh, you praising Matt Arthur. Uh, he certainly delivered the first four tries were try assists from him. Uh, it was a very dominant performance from him in a in a match where the team, once they got into their rhythm, played really well. But he certainly was the dominant force out there. He was a star, you know, and um, it, it, it's no surprise to any of us and anyone who's been watching him through um, the, the last couple of years in uh, junior reps wouldn't be surprised by that type of performance either. But, um, you know, the, 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 the text that I did send um, 60s for anyone listening who's wondering is we knew that we have a first grade prospect on our hands in, in Matt Arthur, but I think we've got a potential future rep player um, the more that I continue to watch him. You know, we've praised his service deluxe this year, and it, it just it, it continues to find new levels and you know, um, some absolute pearlers um, to to set up some um, some tries uh, in in this victory. I think the the one for uh, the cutout pass for Blaze Talangi's mm. try in particular was uh, it, it was an absolute pearler of he, a ball. He toyed with the defense know? that one too because he he sold everything going left. Um, yeah. he, he knew his channel was to the right and. Yeah, in the context of the game, the Eels had fought their way back in. That gave them the lead. At, gave them a strong lead at halftime. Uh, yeah, what what a pivotal play! And you know, when you rack up four try assists from dummy half, you're doing something right. Absolutely, you know, and um, it, it 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 really epitomizes. You know, again, not, none of us are surprised. I think all of us had him as our man of the match um, in the preview last week. So it's 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 no surprise that he he produced a performance like that, but. You know, um, in, in the same breath, I do continue to be surprised because you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm starting to think that he, he, his ceiling is as high as he wants it to be. One of the things that I used to enjoy uh, watching was uh, during uh, training in school holidays, you'd see the Arthur boys would be down there. This is I'm going back like seven, eight years ago when they were kids still. And they'd be down there 
uh, helping out. So they'd be um, helping uh, Mick with the, as, who was the gear steward at the time. They'd be um, carrying the footballs out, setting out uh, markers, just picking up stuff as, as it's being finished with. And then the other thing that would happen is if there was a drill that involved the dummy halves and they needed someone to throw passes basically from dummy half in another drill, they used to call Woods over. So he'd be there at like 11 or 12, snapping these passes to the first grade players as part of their NRL training drills. And he had... <laughs> He had a demon pass on him as a kid, and it's no surprise to see that those passes absolutely fizz through the air now at 18 years of age. So he turns 19 in February. Uh, so technically, he could run around for another year in SG Ball. That won't be happening. He'll probably be looking at Jersey Flag maybe to start the year, but uh, look, I... I think himself and a, and a number of other players in that team might be very close to starting the year in New South Wales Cup. I, I just have a feeling that they're looking for uh, fresh faces and energy uh, around the senior group next year. And I don't think they could do any better than getting in some of these young blokes that are excelling at the uh, Jersey flag level. And uh, when you reflect on the season that the Jersey flag has had where uh, the start of the season, it was um, it was very hard for them to get some combinations happening because there was always the sense that there were going to be players that were going to be elevated. And the job for Craig Brennan was really blending two groups of players together halfway through the year, which I think he's done a superb job in, in uh, achieving. And uh, now... They're playing some really good football. And I suggest that the only thing that might stop them from going up to the last game of the season would be those nervous moments or, you know, moments where there's maybe just a few too many errors. Uh, but apart from that, they hold the ball and they, I think they're a damn good chance of winning every game that they uh, take part in. Yeah, I had the exact same thoughts, mate, where... The, the talent in this team, the depth in this team. I mean, you look at the players that aren't playing who are eligible to play. It is actually quite ridiculous. So I, I think I told you when we were having a chat yesterday that the only thing that could really stop this team, right, and I mean this of all due respect because there's going to be lots of talented teams left in the finals, but in terms of just pure talent and ceiling, they're their own biggest potential enemy. You know, the, mm. the errors in getting in their own way will be what will open the door for other teams because I just think this roster is as talented a, a flag roster as the Eels have assembled. I mean, from top to bottom, from the depth, uh, you know, from the, the star players inside the team itself to the just the work rate and the production from, you know, the guys that might not go on the four general careers but were going to be really big pieces of this team. Yeah, they're, they're so loaded. It's, it's quite ridiculous. Yeah, and it's obvious too that they're a team that, plays for each other like there's a really strong bonds within the team and I think uh, the the staff have done a good job with that the you, you, there was obviously there were strong bonds in that uh, SG ball team mm -hmm. in taking out the title but you look at this uh, at the team the blended team that's there now 
and it's almost like watching the SG ball all over again, isn't it? Yeah. Just yeah. in terms of in terms of the energy That's and right. the, um, the way they celebrate each other's successes, um, and obviously the spine is identical, and I think that goes a long way towards them achieving what they are at, at the yeah, moment. There, there's a lot of synchronicity you know, across that one, six, seven, and nine. Um, you know, obviously it all starts with Woods at the base of the ruck, but when he goes, you'll see Sanders and Tweed will come with him. And you'll you know you'll see yeah. Lynn popping up on the left edge to create something with Arthur and uh, Sanders. Um, yeah, they've, they've got a lot of different looks, um, and they they sure operate as a unit as good as you're going to see in this grade. Yeah, so uh, people will will be covering with a live blog again this week. Yes, there is a live stream, and people often enjoy being able to watch the live stream, but then jump on and add some comments on. Uh, the live blog. There are people who have trouble accessing the stream and uh, like to be able to read 40's descriptions of the match. Or just join and, the conversation. Uh, um, yeah, and there's... and there's, Mate, I'm, I'm going to have to get you to be immodest. There is no one that is able to live blog matches quite the way that you are. So it is a um, uh, wonderful insight into what's going on in the match. And, um, I, yeah, there's... Whenever we don't have a live blog and we get the messages of, you know, what's happening is there no live blog this week. Uh, that That's when we know how much we'll enjoy it. So um, I'm looking forward to getting out to Leichhardt Oval this week. It was uh, last week getting out to North Sydney was um, was was actually not too bad. Um, it was a quick trip on the, on the motorway, especially going home. But uh, Leichhardt, hopefully... Um, we can get some parking. That's always the big question mark at Leichhardt Oval. Can we get some parking? So, anyway, uh, we'll talk about the team list in just a moment. Uh, Clint, the NRLW, I think the result was pretty much what most people would have expected against the Roosters. But, my goodness, there's an inequity in what the Roosters are able to, you know, put out in their team each week. Uh, I put on the uh, the blog, the preview blog, because a lot of people were adding their thoughts about the match on the preview blog. The Roosters have 13, count it, 13 internationals in their, in their roster. And, mm. I, that's, and that's with the ones that I know. I didn't do a deep dive. I just took the... I just grabbed the names that I were pretty. I was pretty sure were international players. Double checked a, a couple of the ones that I, I wanted to be sure of that were uh, maybe had been a little bit in the you know a year or two back for you know rather than being current. But thirteen internationals and most of them current. I think it's something like nine, eight or nine Australian um, uh, rep players who also play Origin. Uh, I think there's about four, three or four uh, Kiwi players and a Tongan international. Oh, how does how do you assemble a team with that many internationals in a local competition? Oh, we've been doing it in the in the men's competition for quite some time now as well. Um, you, you look at the centre pairing um, in Sergis and Kelly and and and. Um, for pretty much the rest of the competition, that'd be a, a very big um, percentage of the salary cap. 
for them right there. Well, surely that would be the marquee because you've got three marquee slots for every team. Mm. That would be by far and away the marquee acquisitions for any other team. So I don't know how the Roosters are set up, but the fact that those two are in the team on top of – I mean, when when you talk about those international 60s, there's no cheap – I mean, obviously – No. There are some, I suppose, smaller countries represented there too, but in general there are very few cheapies in there. I mean, you run through that that team sheet, Baxter, uh, Aiken's a breakout star, Kelleher's an established star, Millie Boyle, best forward in the game, Kiwi Davis, very good dummy half, Mil, uh, Hill Moana, outstanding prop, uh, Pule, Koenig and Joseph in the back row. I mean, they, they are just loaded up. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the only um, uh, minor nation uh, rep player that was there is uh, Hopawate, Who's uh, who represented Tonga, and she's a player on the rise. Mm. I mean, she she's a weapon player out there, but so they already had the likes of Sergis and Kelly, and they are able to add Millie Boyle, who's like top of the tree mm-hmm. um, prop in the country. Taryn Aitken, who is as you said, she's the breakout five eight in the Australian team, and she is a superstar. She she has got the game sense that is next level in uh, women's rugby league. She is going to be the the superstar for a period of time now. Um, you mentioned Sergis and Kelly. Corbin Baxter, again, Australian and origin representative. Keely Davis, Australian and origin representative. Well, the pack... You, you, I mean, I've already mentioned <laughs> Millie Boyle, but you got Millie Boyle, Keely Joseph, and uh, Fotu Mawala. So there's there's a rep, who represent New Zealand. So there you go. You've got the you've got uh, uh, those there. You've got um, uh, Hill Moana, uh, Moana as well. Another New Zealand rep, uh, Atessa Pule, another New Zealand rep, Amber Hall, Olivia Koenig. Yeah, I mean, how many are we going to trot it, out? It, it, actually, you, you'll run out of breath before you could get through the representative list. You, you need to take a, a big suck in and get back for it. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, so, I mean, credit credit to the like, Roosters we, for the roster building, but it sure feels like there are some haves and have-nots in this competition. Oh, look, when you when you look at the the team that Parramatta's putting out there to compete with them, I I couldn't I couldn't question the effort that those Parramatta girls put in. Like I will question some of their errors that were costly because they just have to get them out of the game. There is no question about that. Like they are they they make a rod for their own back every mm. week with turning over possession with some basic errors. But in terms of how much they're competing and to think that they were literally they were out there competing against what a team that could take the field as a representative team in mm. international rugby league. They could they could go out there and if they were, uh, let's say the Roosters were part of the World Cup, a Roosters team, they would go close to winning the World Cup with that lineup. That's how strong they are. And and like we were talking about with um, in, in saying that, for example, that the Eels flag team, they could be their own greatest enemy. Again, it's it's pretty much the same with this Roosters team. The only thing that will stop them 
from winning the title will be themselves. And I know that there's other teams out there that have been performing strongly. The Knights are the reigning title holders. They're going well. The Broncos have obviously got some stars in that team. But if the Roosters don't win, then they have to take a long, hard look in the mirror because there is nothing about that team that... Sorry, there is everything about that team (laughs) that says they should be winning this title. Mm. And it's... and, and. the fact that they can add, that they can add Aiken and Millie Boyle to their roster this year, like that's, like I said, the the when you're talking about marquee players, you could rattle off about five or six of them there that are marquee players on their own, and in their own right. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I was, I thought that the girls put up a really strong effort last last week apart from those errors Clint what are they got to do to minimise these errors because they're really costly for them well yeah it's going to be a boring answer to that question but it's just about nailing the fundamental of that training you know and and, and whenever a team is struggling um, you know the the coach will normally turn to the fundamentals and they'll focus on the six o'clock pass it's it's, um, catch pass release Catch pass release and and really fo- and, you know and and then likewise defensively just um, getting your point of contact correct you know the 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 old um, classism of uh, ask the grass and and driving up through the tackle you know it's, it's it's getting back to those those fundamentals and 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 trying to execute them as as perfectly as you can in training and and to do that in sync as a team and then you know, eventually it, um, the, the hope is that that translates over into the way in which you play the game but. You know, um, I, I think for them as well, there's little moments where, um, you know, it's just attention to detail. Obviously, there's um, there's a lot of competitive drive still in, in, in the team. And sometimes you can you can force things um, and it just doesn't quite work for you when, when you're um, when you're going through that as a sporting side and as a rugby league team. So, you know, uh, I, 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 I put it down to just practicing those fundamentals and, and, and just nailing those this tiny things, getting those perfectly right as you can. You're not going to get it perfect, but as perfectly right as you can. And, um, you know, so that when the, the odd one does happen, you then also have the confidence to go, we can defend this error. It's, it's one error. You know, it's, it's, it's when it compounds it's, um, and you know, the snowball effect takes place. And you know, when you, you start thinking about the scoreboard and you, you, you start thinking about your position on the ladder, it all sort of just um, comes crashing down on you, but you know it's just it's just again a, a boring answer. Um, one set at a time as well, both uh, offensively and defensively. John, we have spoken about this, and the the thing that's been a positive about the team is that at the start of the year, and without Rachel Pearson, they looked like a disorganised rabble. And that's and and it might sound harsh to say that, but it was hard to see much in the way of attacking shapes. It was they, as a consequence of them not being able to throw anything in attack, and I mean like literally almost anything. They were constantly fatigued in defence. But when we've been talking lately, we've been talking about you know they. They really do look 
in the last few weeks, like a, a well-coached team. Uh, good structures, interesting interesting shapes that are there. Um, and just having those key moments where they will make an error seems to be the the main problem for them. Um, is it as was it as simple as having your halfback back? Do you think? I think, or is it or is it the impact of some of these younger players as well? Yeah, it's definitely a multi pronged answer. Um, Rachel Pearson coming back was evidently huge. I mean, she was their marquee recruit in the halfback position. Um, you know, it doesn't get much more impactful than that when it comes to a football team. So having her out for the first three weeks was very, very costly. It set the Eels back significantly. Um, but on the flip side, I think the growth of those young players, you, you mentioned their 60s, obviously Cassie Toi Hiku, uh, Tyler Amiatu, um, you know, those players, you got Zali Fay, Lindsay Tui's come into the team, and she had a bit of a rough uh, game last week, which was a bit of a welcome to the NRLW moment. Uh, but, you know, those young players, Ruben Charrington, um, you know, Tanika Todd-Hunter, Noria Kapua, Ruby Jean Kennard-Ellis, the, you know, the, the growth that they've all taken as a unit and individually has certainly helped. Um, and I think that maybe also the emergence of someone like Mahalia Murphy, who's become a bit of a difference maker on the edge for the Parramatta Eels, um, that's been significant as well. But getting your halfback back uh, was absolutely massive for this team. And there is a, a lot of what-ifs now in regards to, I think, on, on two levels. Uh, if Pearson had been available in round one, and if maybe it, it's not the first time we've started a little bit slowly in the NRLW, we saw that happen last year as well. Um, if we just made a slight adjustment to our preseason schedule uh, with the way they approach round one, maybe because once we got to like rounds three plus, we looked like we we're sort of ready for round one. Um, so yeah, on those on those two fronts, I would say yes, getting your halfback fit for round one would would have been absolutely critical, and obviously having Albert and Kennedy together in the middle as well. Uh, but sorry, Elsie and and um, Kennedy in the middle, um, and yeah, uh, and maybe just tweaking that pre that approach to the preseasons because we it feels like same same thing happened last year. We got to the mm. blocks real slow, uh, and found our feet uh, almost too late. Um, end up getting, you know winning one game, getting into the finals, and then winning another game to get to the grand final, which was felt like you know, it was fantastic. But um, yeah, I think that's uh, something to definitely be considered moving forwards. Yeah, and. Uh, maybe maybe it was harsh to say disorganized rabble, but I, they felt it felt like they were strangers out there. Yeah, they, they weren't they weren't playing team. It was very yeah. disjointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but now, when you when you look at the, at, I mean, you can literally see the the way that their attack will test a defence right now, and and you can see the that there are questions that are being asked simply. Via the shapes that yep. they're that they're creating, there's connections as well. being set up. Pearson to Hunt, you know, Kimberly yep. Hunt was um uh, in the centres a couple of weeks ago. And now is on the right wing, and she's got a fantastic connection with Pearson. You know, they're they're working off that boot to create opportunities out wide. Um, obviously Mahalia Murphy's doing her thing. Um, I suppose the one thing in terms of uh feeding a player that I want to be a little bit critical of is uh Cassie Toihiku is you know the breakout star of a team in a season where there's a couple of breakout stars like Amiatu and Ruben Cherrington. But uh, we, we struggle to get her the ball sometimes. Um, and it just feels like a bit of a waste when she's locked onto the one edge, which is, I suppose comes back to that argument that we, not argument we had 60s, but presenting the argument that we made, uh, that maybe pushing her to fullback might be the best thing for the team and for the player. Yeah, well, let's let's segue this. Let's uh, jump ahead. I'd like to put our um, our preview in as part of the team list this week. Mm-hmm. So, John, can you... 
can you take us through the NRLW team list uh, for the match against the Titans this week, and then we'll then we'll run through our preview of the game. Yeah, round eight in the NRLW, the Parramatta Reels are travelling to Queensland to take on the Gold Coast Titans out at Seabus Super Stadium. This one kicks off 1.30pm on Sunday the 10th of September. Uh, the Titans, well, they're doing really well this season, 60s. I think they occupy, or solely occupy third on the ladder, five wins, two losses in their seven games. So very, very strong. The two teams they lost to, the Roosters and the Newcastle Knights, the two favourites for the title, so no shame there for the Titans. Um, but their roster is very good. At fullback, Ivanya Polite, you got Brown and Mino Sinapati on the wings, Jamie Chapman and Niall Williams-Guffrey in the centres. Shante Kiriaratu and Lauren Brown are in the halves. Uh, in the front row, Shannon Mato, Brittany Braley-Nati and Jessica Ellison. Zara Carnfield, Shelly Bent on the edges, Georgia Hale at lock forward. On the interchange, Sienna Lafipo, Stephanie Hancock, Riley Jordanson and Den- Daniil. Danili, sorry, Danili, there was another eye there. I wasn't sure if it was two L's or an eye. Uh, no, it's just two eyes. It's two eyes. Danny Paris. Sorry, Danny. I got there eventually. My eyes obviously not working as well as I should have. Uh, for the Eels, uh, they've got uh, one change this week. Kind of a big one, though. We'll get to that. Uh, unchanged backline, though, uh, which means Church at fullback, Faye and Hunt on the wings, Lindsay Tui and Cassie Toei Hicker, the young centre pairing. In the halves, Puka Berryman Duff and Rachel Pearson, the captain, or now the co-captain, which is a bit of a hint. Uh, in the front row, another unchanged battery there. Talisha O'Neill, Ruben Cherrington, Tyler Amiatu, Amelia Murphy, and Mahalia Murphy on the edges. Coming back into the team after serving a month on the sidelines due to suspension, co-captain and talismanic lock forward Kennedy Cherrington. Massive in for the girls there. On the interchange, couple of three young players, sorry. Uh, Tanika Todd Hunter, Nora Ria Kapua, Ruby Jean Kennard Ellis, all very young. And the average age of this team, 60s, must be very, very low relative to the competition, you'd think with uh, Jade Fanua getting pushed from lock forward to the interchange on the final spot there of the bench, uh, with Kennedy coming into the starting team. She goes to the rotation, pushing out Capri Paikau, who was part of the extended roster with Davis Walsh, Simon Jones, and Donovan. Uh, do we have any match officials? Matt Noyan is in the box, and no other officials named yet. Yeah, I think, that was, I think that's been the case lately, that they've just been naming the uh, video official and not it's the It's been a couple of weeks uh, now, match- yeah. Yeah, so maybe it's just because I haven't figured out their rotations um, after the NRL officials. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, yeah. So, um, fellas, let's uh, let's look at this because I know the Titans have been going extremely well, but I think if the Eels uh, produce a form that's similar to uh, what they produced in their win over the Cowboys and also in their uh, fighting efforts against the Raiders and the Broncos, that... I think they can be ultra-competitive. I, I think that they can push this Titans team. Am I crazy, no. Am I Am I too optimistic? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I don't think so. I mean, you know, the girls will certainly have to be on defensively, though, because the Titans have only conceded uh, 100 points um, so far this year. So, um, you know, they've, they've been a very solid defensive side. But on the flip side, they've also... Um, struggled a bit in attack. They actually, despite being third place and having five wins and two losses, they got a, a negative eight in their points differential. So, um, you know, it, it's it, it sort of swings both ways. There, it's going to be hard for them to score. But you know, the um, you know, for for our girls, they might have an opportunity to to um, limit the damage of the opposition. You know, and which has obviously been a challenge for them this year, and what's been turned out to be a very um, a developmental year for a lot of players. 
um, in the NRLW and in our, and, and in our squads. So, look, uh, it, it, it's kind of hard when you look at the um, the percentages of this one. But like, if you look at the form guide, it would suggest the Titans are going to win. But when you look at the percentages, and and you know, like, you use the eye test and the pub test, I don't think you are crazy sixties because I, I I think there's something hinting there that if if the game unfolds in a certain manner, it'll be there for them to take if they want it. Yeah, I think this is the this is the part that resonated with me was the fact that the Gold Coast have had a number of close wins. And whilst there's praise for getting a close win, it also means I think that teams have had opportunities against them mm. and they haven't taken them. as much as um you can say that the Gold Coast have taken, uh, made the most of the opportunities that they've had. So um, I, I just think that if the Eels can, and this, again, it's the if, it is absolutely essential that they reduce those errors because I, the number of times they turned over possession and immediately conceded a try last week against the Roosters was quite... It, it was astounding. It, it was happening time and time again. And you have to think, you know, all of those are sliding door moments. You hold on to mm. position there. They're not getting, they're not getting the ball turned Making over. tackles, getting they... more fatigued. You know, like the... Yeah. The, the, there are so many things that, on the adjustment side of that move, uh, when you hold on to the ball and complete your sets. And the Roosters were obviously the number one team where you cannot afford to do what we did. And that was constantly turn the ball over in negative field position. Uh, but the, the Titans aren't far behind. You know, given where they sit on the ladder, I know that they haven't got the greatest points differential, uh, as Quint you know, just spoke about. But if you give that team opportunities like we gave the Roosters, they're going to put points on you. It's that simple. Yeah, yeah. And the Roosters were very good at making the uh, taking advantage of, of those moments when an error is made and the yields aren't settled. And it was... Very quick play of the balls, um, running at a defence that was constantly retreating, and you could literally see that a try was going to evolve, and it was going to evolve not with where there wasn't going to need to be too much done in the way of uh, uh, complex plays to get across the line. It was just going to be keep driving towards the line, and the points are going to come, and that's exactly what happened. John, we you spoke about it before. Uh, when it comes to the Eels' danger players, the you've got that great combination between Pearson and Hunt over on that side, but between Pearson and Hunt is Cassie Toihiku. Mm. And I and like you, I felt that there just wasn't enough possession, quality possession that went into her hands last week. It seemed that when we were going through the hands, we were going the other the other side of the ruck. And that when we were looking at over at her side of the ruck, it seemed to be that we were taking the kick option or there wasn't too much that was developed. It was almost that the ball was put into her hands. It was like, okay, let's see what you can do. Yeah. Rather than, rather than uh, creating uh, an overlap. Yeah, two or and two looks a, or overlaps, that, exactly. Opportunities for her to you know, have a fair competition rather than be swarmed. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, do, are you expecting that we're going to see a bit more play coming her side of the field this week? Do you think the plan was uh, was to go 
the other way or it just was one of those matches where it, it worked out that way in, during the game last week? Well, surely the game plan wouldn't be to starve her of football. So you've got to think that the flow of the game just went away from her uh, and, you know, Pearson seeing the opportunities for Hunt with the kick and then the, you know, the general sort of run of traffic to the left with Mahalia Murphy. Um, so, yeah, it's not like you can't go to these other outlets. I mean, I like that the Eels have opportunities to attack at different points on the field. But, you know, CTH has to be one of them. She's got to be yes. one of your, you know, prime directives to feed uh, when it comes to getting the football into the hands of certain players. And, you know, whether it's just getting her, getting her those two-on-two, three-on-two, two-on-one looks, you know, all those different things that can happen out on the edges, or getting her to come back in under the ruck looking to expose some fatiguing middle forwards, you know, use a bit of footwork and strength to get through the front line there. Just need to find ways to get her involved in the game. Uh, because she is, I mean, she to, to be fair to her, she finds ways to get involved in defense. I um, mean, she'll certainly ruck the ball out with plenty of vigor, uh, but she's too good to be wasted without getting, you know, that sort of possession split uh, that we, we sort of starved her off this or this game past. Yep. Uh, Clint, uh, Kennedy Charrington's return, how, how much of an impact is that likely to make for the Eels pack? It's massive because she is the heart and soul of not just the forward pack, but the squad. Um, you know, it's, her passion is well noted. Um, you know, and, and she brings, um, you know, prior to her suspension, you know, let's hope that it was just a, a, a one-off moment, but um, she brings a good balance of, of, um, of aggression and, um, and leadership and, um, that this side has been sorely missing this season, you know, and, and it's such a crying shame that we haven't been able to have Pearson, Sherrington, and Albert all on the field together. Um, you know, and obviously with the emergence of Amiatu as well, geez, it would be nice to have those three in the middle together and and, and Pearson kicking off the back of the platform that they lay. Um, but you know, we we, we get um, another uh, very key piece of the puzzle back this week and. I'm looking forward to her ripping in and, and um, you yeah, know, hopefully she's come back refreshed and, and uh, ready to help the girls finish off the season strong. Okay, let's go for the tips. John, uh, your score, your um, best on field and your first try scorer. you got to back the Parramatta Eels here. I know the Titans are going to be strong favourites and deservedly so, but we spoke about, you know, the way the Eels played the Broncos, the way the Eels played the Raiders and obviously how they played the Cowboys. Um, if they're anywhere near that, I think they're going to make this a really competitive one. I think the return of Candy Charrington finally lets us see, um, you know, with the sort of awoken Tyler Amiatu, uh, a hint of what this pack can really be. As Quinn says, a shame we didn't get to see them with Elsie Albert. That's a real triumvirate right there in your middle forwards, but alas, it wasn't to be this season. Um, but I think, yeah, Candy back, Amiatu in the middle, I think they're going to run amok. Uh, the Eels, I hope, are a little bit more effective with how they use the ball meaning they don't turn it over inside their own red zone, inside their own half, and they find their outlets like CTH, Mahalia Murphy, Zali Faye, Abby Church, Lindsay Tui as well, put them in position to succeed. Um, I will go for a Parramatta's win 24-18, to 18, first try scorer. Well, I can't talk about feeding Cassie Tobihiku without you know, getting her on the board, so let's go for CTH, first try scorer. Best on field, Kennedy Charrington coming back with some real... Uh, hair on fire play. Okay, Clint, same for you. Mine's not too dissimilar. Um, I, I I see a sneaky victory here, and I'm going to uh, channel the um, energy that you were um, echoing before uh, in, in your presupposition questions uh, to us, 60s. 
the girls to win 22 to 20, a real tight one. Uh, first try score was Ali Faye. And um, like John, I'm going to say that Kennedy Sherrington will be player of the match. Okay. Well, this is this now gets interesting because my score is 24-20 to the Eels. <laughs> so we've come up with very similar score lines. I think first try scorer, I'm going to go for the younger sister and I'm going to go for Reuben Charrington to get a sneaky try out of dummy half as the first try scoring a play for the Eels and uh, best on field. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Kennedy as best on field this week. I think uh, she'll be uh, pumped to deliver uh, a big game in her return match. Well, John, now let's jump to the Jersey flag team list and preview. So can you take us through that now? Yeah, Parramatta Eels making their way into week two of the final series in season 2023. Beat Penrith Panthers last week. Take on the Cronulla Sharks out at Leichhardt Oval this week. This game kicks off 11 o'clock a.m. on Saturday the 9th of September. Game will be played out at Leichhardt Oval, but you can catch the live stream on New South Wales Rugby Week TV. They'll have a Facebook channel there for you to jump onto. I'll post that link on TCT alongside the uh, live blog with the game updates from our end. Uh, but for the Parramatta Reels, uh, they look like this. With, I believe, an unchanged team, uh, 1-17, to 17, although the, the jerseys are slightly different from what they wore last week given the changes that were made uh, pre-game. But at fullback, you've got Tehuranui Apanui Tweedle, or Apa Tweedle. On the wings, Matty Komalafi and Ethan Martin. Centres, Samuel Weasel and Blaze Talangi. In the halves, Joshua Lynn and Ethan Sanders. Front row, Brock Parker, Jonte Jr., Beth and Mieser, and of course, Woods, Matthew Arthur, man the match last week. Jock Brazzle captains the team on the left edge. Max Tupo will be on the right. I was about to say Lickinus Lenars. Nicholas Lenars will be at lock forward. On the interchange, Charlie Geimer, Sam Tuovaiti, William Latu, and Noah Reed. Extend the roster and how old are some of these names, boys? Saxon Pryke, Lachlan Blackburn, Araz Nanva, Lance Lima, Richard Penasini. Uh, no Tony Matelli too due to suspension. I mean, that those guys in the extended roster could easily be stepping in to play in starting roles in this team and not letting this team down. And that speaks to the uh, depth and talent of this squad, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. And uh, we're talking as well about there was been a number of players that have managed to get game time this season since coming up from the SG ball who... Uh, aren't able to get a run at this stage. They can't even get listed in that extended uh, bench. Uh, such is the depth there within the squad. And uh, obviously, too, a number of players who are running around in the team in the first half of the season who uh, have been part of the squad and continue to be part of the squad, but they're, no, uh, they're, not, having, uh, they're not getting called up uh, at, at this end of the season as well. So lots of people have put their hand up through the through the year. Lots of depth there. And I think that augurs well because I suggested before that there will be a lot of players, in my opinion, who will go up to New South Wales Cup next year. But there's no shortage of players ready to step in into the flag team next year as well. So even though there'll be those that will be flag eligible that might be playing New South Wales Cup, there'll be plenty of other flag eligible in terms of age players that will come up from the SG ball squad and be part of the setup there at uh, at the Eels in flag. So, um, yeah, so strong lineup, uh, no changes. That's not really a surprise, is it, Clint, to have no changes to a team that's uh, 
just had a semi-final victory the week before. Not at all. And it's you know, uh, continuing on your point about the depth there. What a wonderful headache for coach Craig Brennan to have. Um, this is exactly where you want to be as a coach, having a full complement of players available and having to make some tough decisions at the pointy end of the year. Because it means that you, you know, you've, you've got players that are in form, um, competing for spots. And in, you know, it almost becomes a, a, a question of, you know, do you um, run with the hot hand? Do you try and think of player matchups and, and nullify um, uh, the opposition's potential weaknesses? Um, you know, it's, it's certainly here that you see the, um, the, the coach earn their stripes. And you know, it's exactly the position that, as a coach, you want to be in. So, you know, um, it's, it's hard not to get excited. We've, we've touched on throughout the, um, the recording so far a number of reasons why we're excited about this team and the players within this team. But, um, you know, and, and, and that, you know, the, probably the thing, only thing that can stop them is themselves or are themselves. Um, so, you know, they should be going into this game confident, particularly, um, correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, but it was um, these guys, some of their first games in flag this year was actually against the Cronulla Sharks. And that's sort of where we saw the the reversal of form and the fortunes of this side um, shift to um, set up this late season run into the semis. Yeah, so the Eels got, I think it was about round 17 off the top of my head. They got a 22-12 Victory over the Sharks and uh, went on a bit of a roll from there. They might have had one loss after that, uh, but certainly there was a um, uh, that was a good win for them to have back then in round 17. And uh, they've only got stronger since then. So, uh, and the other player that uh, we could have mentioned as well that uh, we're, we're not seeing in the team was uh, Jacob Davis, who was. Uh, dummy half for a, a large part of the season even was elevated to New South Wales Cup. And when you've got a talent like uh, Woodsy Arthur at dummy half and you've got uh, the lock forward, Nick Lanaz, who is capable of jumping in at dummy half, it means that uh, Craig Brennan uh, can focus on having uh, pretty much a, a, a bench of forwards. However... Let me just mention this as well. He has that option with Charlie Geimer, doesn't he? That Charlie mm. can play in the centres if they if they were to get an injury in the back line. And then you've got out in the centres uh, someone like Blaze Talungi, that if they had an issue in the halves, um, that he could he could move into halves. You could have Charlie Geimer. Like he's got he's got that uh, all the positions basically covered via that 17 players that he's been able to name. And I think that says a lot about the balance of the squad as much as the talent of the squad. So um, how do we see this game going? I mean, uh, uh, what do you think he's going to be the message Breno's going to have, John, when it comes to the start? Because he obviously doesn't want to start like he had last week or the week before. Um we, we would have the confidence for the Eels to come back, but you don't want them constantly making a rod for their own back, do you? No. I mean, obviously, like you said, the team has the talent to come back from a deficit, but the more you do it, the more eventually it's going to catch up with you. And at some point, the opposition team will just seize on those opportunities and put you to bed. So you don't want to see that happen. So getting out to a strong start, and it doesn't have to be you know dominant and running off the park 18-0 in 
you know, 18 minutes sort of stuff, but just getting out and, and settling into that rhythm is what you really want to see from our boys. Um, you know, the Cronulla team going to be very good. I mean, the the player that we saw carve up our cup team earlier this season was Samuel Stone Street, 60s. He's taking part in this one, so you got to watch yeah, out for so that. Yeah, so saw him named on the wing, yeah. Yeah, big, tall and fast, you know, the prototypical modern winger, really. And um, I think there's a lot of second-gen or brother players, uh, sorry, I sort of uh, brother, younger brother players in this team. I, I see a Wilton, um, I see we've got a Healy, uh, we've got a Hosking, there's the Wilson, uh, Bradbury, they're all... Uh, names of players I've seen come through the Cronulla system in the past, I'm pretty certain. So looks like there's some you know strong uh, family ties there. And Cronulla are always pretty good in these grades. We, we've spoken how the Eels have almost a, a sort of budding rivalry of Cronulla through the junior reps and now the Jersey flag. Uh, have met them so many times in high-stakes games in the postseason, got the better of them in that, uh, was it the 2018 SG Ball season, 60s? Uh, so yeah, um, you know there, there's a there's a bit of history here between the two clubs, and uh, for the Eels, I think that yeah, just getting into rhythm, and once you get into rhythm, you've got ability to attack from any angle. You know, you go down the left, we've got Ethan Martin, uh, <clears throat> uh, Samuel Oizu, uh, the captain Jock Brazel. Down the right, you've got Big Matty Komalafi, you've got the outstanding Blaze Talangi, um, and you know, and uh, Max Tupo, who's a great workhorse for the Eels. Uh, and then obviously the spine, and and in the forward pack, you know Brock Parker, Jonte Junior, Beth and Mesa, they're they're not just workhorses, but they're high impact guys. Brock Parker has gone to another level this year. Mm. He, he is playing like a representative caliber prop forward. Jonte spent most of the season in the cup and did really well. We know his quality, and then on the interchange, we we saw what they can do. Sam Tulvadi came in and just he that try he scored. There was no way the Panthers ever stopped him. The moment you saw him wind up. You just knew he was going over. Yeah, you knew it was a good try. Yeah, and he just that, that was pretty much his major contribution to the game. That was all it was needed in the context of the game because of what uh, Brock and Jonte were doing, uh, what other guys were doing like Nick Lenars. Who? How about Nick, who had two drops off two touches in the game against Penrith and <laughs> looked like he was you know not not going to get hooked, but he was going to get inside his own head, and he bounced back and finished that game really strongly. So, yeah, for the Eels, if they get into rhythm, I'm, I'm really confident here. If they start slow. Cronulla could absolutely pile on points, and you don't want to be seeing that, but they can chase it down. But uh, it'll be down on the forwards to start this game strongly and then just, you know, in general, no one to be silly and drop the ball. There, there was one um, take that I re- and charge that I remember Nick Lanaz making. Where So you mentioned he'd had a, a, a couple of errors, and I think it was might have been early in the second half, and he charged onto this pass, and because of the angle he was running at, and the pace he was running at, from memory, like the pass would have been, would have come up above shoulder height and out to his right. So he was actually, in, in essence, running away from the pass. Like he'd cut, almost cut back too hard and too fast. But his arm went out and he pulled it in. And I was like, because as, as he ran that line and ran it so hard, I was thinking, this ball's going down. And somehow he held onto it and like drove right through the Penrith defence with that particular carry. Um, and that must have brought him a lot of confidence as well. And like, as you said, he could have got inside his own head, but I guess it's a measure of him as well that it didn't stop him playing the way that he likes to play. So uh, full credit to him there. Um, I was going to say, I think Penrith might have had a bit of a game plan to keep Ethan Martin out of that contest on Saturday, um, but I would like to see the Eels, much like we talk about Cassitoe Hiku getting featured a little bit, I would like to see the Eels get a little bit more ball out his way. 
Um, I know that Arpa went one on one time down the edge with a cutout pass that sort of hit his ankles, and it would have been a try if it would have been a bit higher. Uh, but Martin is absolutely electric, and just giving him a few chances to test the defense will be huge. Yeah, and Clint, the the couple of uh, players that are missing. So we got Richard Penasini, who was a late withdrawal last week. He wasn't quite right after that head knock that he copped in the New South Wales Cup game. And uh, Taroa Williams, who's been out with injury and was a mainstay of the team uh, earlier in the season and, in fact, was one of those players who was elevated at one stage to New South Wales Cup. Um, Both of those players aren't getting a look in in this team. Um, uh, Not sure how... um, I mean, Richie's been named... On the uh, on that reserve that extended list there, player number twenty two. Um, geez, it's a it's a tough calls having to make, isn't it? Of of uh, leaving out Richie from the starting lineup, but but also knowing that you've got someone like Terrell Williams in the um, in the background there is, uh, <laughs> I mean, you having to call him depth at this stage <laughs> of, of like with the mainstay of the team before. So, um, mate, yeah, you can imagine it would have been hard choices. I think you said before, this is the sort of thing that coaches love to be able to be in the position of doing. Is it's a great to problem out. to have. It's a great yeah. problem to have. You know, it, it, it's the ultimate leverage of, 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 for a coach. And But on top of that as well, you know, it's sort of where you, um, you earn your dollars as a coach because, um, you know, there, there's, no, um, there's no way to hide as well. But, but, but I, I don't mean that... Um, in a sort of, a, a, I guess it could be interpreted as a, well, you don't have any excuses type of um, um, uh, way. I certainly don't mean in, 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 in that capacity, but, you know, it, it, it's more that it's, it's, um, you know, it's a challenge that you, um, or I guess a, um, a luxury that you're very rarely afforded in a contact sport, you know, and, um, and you get to go in and do exactly, uh, prepare, exactly the way you want, uh, name the team that you want uh, and who you think are going to get the job done. And you know, there's a lot of confidence there um, for the coaching staff as well because you know, th- th- these are guys who have gone through the season together and have grown into and through the season to and um, establish um, some very, very strong form at the back end of this year. And they'll be going into this game because of all those reasons with a lot of confidence. And so they should. Yeah, and... Um... There was, I just want to remind uh, John of this because um, we were out at uh, Lidcombe Oval uh, back in round six and it was the Easter weekend. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the Eels team that day. And, it, and then, and you start to think, these, there's a lot of players that I'm about to rattle off that we're not seeing at the end of this season. And some of them did particularly well early in the season. Fullback was Lindsay Munro. Lindsay was playing some cracking football earlier in the year. Real real live wire fullback. Terrell Williams was the winger. The centres, Samuel Luizio and Will Vartu. Uh, Lenny Federica was the other winger. The halves were Ned Hicks and Mac Puafisi. Um, Brock and Jonte Jr. were the props with Jacob Davis, a dummy half. Mm-hmm. Jock Brazzle and Max Tupu were the back rowers and Nick Lanaz was the 
was the lock. And then uh, on the bench, we had Riley Lack, Tyson Chase, Nick Al Rathall, and Noah Reed. So you can see a lot of um, a lot of changes, mostly. That starting in that back, back still line. still very similar. The back line, massive changes. I think Taroa will probably be in the picture for this weekend, but I think he did his knee. Um, so I believe he's injured. Um, so I think he would have been in the contest for this. But the, I mean, saying that, the, the competition's pretty fierce, isn't it? You've got Samuel Louise, oh, yeah. Blaise Talangi, Richard Penasini. Yep, and it, and it, I just wanted to read through that because it gives an idea about how much this is a blended team of the SG ball players that came up and the players that were playing in the early part of the season. So it really has been a group that I think Breno's done a really good job of uh, of, of getting to, onto the same page. Okay, time for the uh, the predictions, the uh, scoreline, the first try scorer and best on field. John, if you can kick that off. It, look, it's probably going to be a tight contest. That's how finals usually go. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit reckless, though, and tip a big Parramatta win. Um, I'll go <laughs> I'll go 42 to 10. Um, first try scorer, whew, Ethan Martin. Uh, like, like Cassie Tohihiku, you can't talk him up about needing to get more ball without backing him via the FTS. Best on field, well... You know, there's a whole bunch of guys that you could really nominate here. Bud's backing it up would be no surprise to me. Um, I will go Ethan Sanders, however. I think he had a good game against Penrith. I think he'll be even better this week. And, yeah, that's how I'm going to go. And like I said, I know that realistically it's probably going to be a tight game. But, look, if the Eels start... We talk about the Eels starting strong, right? Getting into rhythm early, not conceding mistakes, not conceding points. I think if they do that, they put themselves in the box seat to go on and win this one handsomely. Okay, Clint. Yeah, um, John and I are absolutely uh, channeling the same energy today. Um, uh, I have a uh, not quite as big a victory, but a 32 to 16 uh, Eels uh, win. Uh, my first try scorer is going to be um, big JJBM. Uh, I, I see a, a sneaky little uh, crash play sleight of hand from Woods after to put him over um, uh, in, in the opening 10 to 15 minutes. And that'll set the tone for the games and that good start that we're looking for. And um, because of such and because of the form and, and the praise that I gave him earlier, I, I see Woods after backing up with another man of the match performance. Okay, so you've stolen my thunder because I was going for the 32-16 win <laughs> as well. Uh, for uh, first try scorer, I'm going to go with Ethan Sanders there. And for... Best on field, I'm going to go for Brock Parker. I think the engine room will go a long way towards this, and I'll tip Brock to uh, really lay a strong it, pra- platform against those Sharks. If it wasn't for Woods going absolutely supernova last week, Brock would have been in the conversation for best on field as well. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, and <laughs> it's, it's an interesting call, you saying him going supernova, because that basically, when you come up with four try assists, in the opening four tries, um, yeah, that is that is the case. Now, uh, that brings us to the halfway point in this podcast. So just like last week, if you want to get out there and, and grab a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a, a beer or whatever it is that you do at the midway point in listening to the podcast, you might be driving to work. It might be time for you to, you know, have a bit of a, a, a stretch, pull over to the side of the road, 
have a bit of a stretch, whatever the case may be. And uh, we'll be back with you and the NRL news in a moment. And now we're back. <laughs> so, uh, second half of the podcast, fellas. I wanted to start off with your takes on the final ladder positions. Who are the biggest disappointments this year? And unfortunately, Parramatta has to come into the conversation here. So is it teams that were finalists last year who missed out, and that's Dallas, Parra and the Cowboys? Or is it a team that was more was expected of who were just garbage again this year? And we're talking about the Dogs or the Tigers. So, um, John, let me start off with you. Yeah, with the Parramatta goggles on, it's got to be the Eels being the biggest biggest disappointments. Um, the there is a, almost a burden that comes of making a grand final and then losing it. It is it is very difficult to get over that hump and get back. You know, not not to, not to the grand final itself, but you know, back deep into the finals. Eels obviously went below that bar. I, I think when you lose a grand final. Your only real option is to double down in a big way and not try and tread water. Eels did the latter, paid for it. Um, that's and I mean, it makes it even that much worse when you look at how the results panned out and how the Eels have won one more game would be in the finals. And then you'd be in the finals on the back of beating Penrith. And like suddenly you can start talking about making things happen again. So obviously big disappointments there. South Sydney's capitulation, very big too. Uh, all those rumblings of internal strife and disharmony, very big as well. Cowboys, I'm not too surprised. I thought they were overachievers last year. I know they only missed the finals by the same margins as Parramatta Eels, but um, I'm not surprised to see them slip a bit. In terms of the, the biggest other disappointment, in terms of the media hype, it's got to be the, the dogs. There, there was so much pumped up about them, about getting a new super coach in Serraldo, their incredible recruitment drive headed by Reed Marnie and a few others. And yeah, they were just awful. Seven wins on the season is diabolical. Uh, you talk about disharmony at the Rabbitohs. Well, it looks like there's hazing going on at Canterbury. Um, you know, if guy comes late, fair enough to punish him. But what, what's been alleged is probably a bit over the top. Uh, the Dolphins, I thought they were pleasant surprises. I'm not sure if that's a question coming after. But uh, outside of that, probably the, it's not a disappointment. But a special award goes to the West Tigers for finishing last in season 2022 and somehow going worse next year in 2023. You came 16th last year and you've gone back backwards. So well done. <laughs> yes, I hadn't thought about it in that respect, to go <laughs> from 16th to 17th. So that is a special sort of achievement. Clint, what what are the standout disappointments for you? Look, you know, it's it's hard to get in, uh, not to get introspective and, and not say our own boys. You know, obviously we had some high expectations and despite the, the turnover and, and there wasn't significant turnover of players, I think we all headed into this season, and particularly after uh, round one, given how, um, given that we went to Golden Point with um, with the Storm, with um, far from our best seventeen out there, we thought, you know, um, we, we should be well amongst it. And you know, apart from the last, uh, you know, um, probably about uh, six weeks of the competition, excluding that um, that great uh, victory against Penrith to end the season. Um, We'd be competitive in every game. Um, you know, it was that, that last six weeks, sort of when the um, when the wheels came off, and you know we started conceding um, on some scores. But you know um, that that being said as well, um, first time I think oh, I, I can't remember the last year that this happened. But 
um, three of the four preliminary finals from the season prior not making the finals at all. Um, so, you know, it, it's obviously a talking point. I agree with John that uh, the Cowboys overachieved last year and, you know, their, their spot where they are at the moment is probably somewhere between about 6th to 10th. Mm-hmm. They finished 11th. Um, you know, there's, um, there's it's, it's also very interesting. You know, I, I'm a firm believer and we're sort of hinting towards it when we're discussing the NRLW preview that uh, for and against is generally a good marker of the quality of the team and how well they've gone. And you've got two teams in the Roosters and Raiders who have come in with um, a positive win record, but negative for and against, mm. um, heavily so for the Raiders, minus 137. But teams 9, 10, 11, and 12 in the Rabbitohs, Eels, Cowboys, and Sea Eagles, all with either a, um, a, um, a, a 12 and 12 record or the, the Sea Eagles and 11 and 12 with, a, with one draw, all have positive for and against. You know, and I, I think it, it, there's, a, there's a little bit of um, maybe history being made there. And it's probably um, by and part of the fact that the, t- the competition has expanded. Because I think back to those early years of, of the official NRL from 1998 onwards, when we had um, 20 team competitions um, in 98 and in um, uh, and a 17 competi- team competition in 99. You look back then and there was teams with positive records who didn't make the semis then. In um, in 1998, you had Cronulla, and this was the top 10 in the first year of the NRL in 1998. You had Cronulla, who finished 11th with 12 wins, 11 losses, and one draw, and a points differential of plus 51. Um, likewise, in 1999, you had the Canberra Raiders, who finished with 13 wins, 10 losses, one draw, came 9th with a, po- a points differential of plus 179. Jeez. So... Um, pretty pretty crazy that um, you know it's taken until um, 2023 that we've seen something of of that ilk again. Um, you know, because n- normally in your head you go a 50% win rate will get you to make the semis. Um, now it's probably something for coaches to consider it in a 17 team competition. You probably need to have at least 13 wins to um, you know, you got to you got to have at least one one win better. Um, um, than um, 50% to um, be making the eight moving forward. I think that's probably going to be the marker for um, for uh, the semifinals um, uh, moving forward now that we're in a 17-team and potentially more in coming seasons. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It, and look, I, I look at this and I go, the uh, I, I, at the start of the season, I tipped the Rabbitohs to miss out on the finals. So I'm not entirely surprised that they missed out. I've been, I don't know. I've been expecting that they've been, uh, I'd actually thought that they'd been a little bit of the overachievers myself. I, I've never rated their um, roster as much as other mm. people do. And, I, and that might, that might sound like I'm someone who's, uh, maybe my elevator isn't stopping at every floor. No, the... not, not, a, not, a, <laughs> right. not at all there, 60s, because it, for me, for the probably the past four or five years, in my head I've been going, they just should not be doing as well as they are. And then um, coincidentally, I finally relented and gave up on that belief at the start of this year and said, you know what, I, I'm just wrong. And I said, they'll, they'll probably win it this year. I think I tipped them as my premiers. So um, everyone listening, I've clearly got no clue. 
<laughs> yes, but um, look, I, I thought, I, I was like you, I thought maybe the Cowboys overachieved last year. However, I look at their team that they're able to put out there and they've, they've got no shortage of representative players, especially Queensland representative players. And for them to finish behind the Eels when they have such a distinct home ground advantage, the Cowboys, like just really distinct home ground advantage. Uh, I, I just thought they were a major disappointment. Obviously, there's a personal disappointment in the Eels, and especially when you see um, the number of games that we lost by such narrow margin early in the year to have that be costly for our finals football. But also, if I'm honest, I, I even if, if we had a qualified for finals football, even on the back of that Penrith win, I, I just had that feeling that this was such a long, challenging season for the Eels. Mm. We were going to struggle in finals football. I don't mind the fact, it's going to sound bizarre for me to say it, I'm, I'm actually happier for them to have an early finish and, and recharge the batteries rather than going in and potentially, yeah, if, you know, getting if, bashed in. If the, if the, the alternative is match. limping into the finals and getting your asses handed to you, then, yeah, I mean, obviously you, you want to make the finals, but if mm. it sets you up better for 2024 when you cop it on the chin... Obviously, we have to wait and see whether that is what it's going to be for the Parramatta Eels. You've got to think they're going to be fired up for next year, given how this season ended. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, you don't want to be slaughtered in the, in the finals. You know, obviously, you might get Moses back in that hypothetical, but there's a chance you don't. Um, so, yeah. you're not going to be full strength. And you didn't have, we wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had Gutho. Yeah, and gutho has gone for three months. Yeah. So, that's a, a massive hole in the team, obviously. Uh, so yeah, there's also yeah, a, um, I think a false sense of security had we made the finals as well because mm. there'd be a, a mentality fair. of that's fair. Well, yeah, at, at least we made the finals. Whereas I, I think in not making it, no it certainly ran some of the point of those tight losses that we had early, and particularly losses to the Raiders and the Titans. Those those ones really stunned us. Um, they're both games that um, we 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 would have gone into there confident in our ability to win. And obviously, there was um, uh, different contributing reasons as to why we lost those games. But ultimately, we still should have found the way, particularly that Titans game in Magic Round. Um, and then likewise, when you look at the performances over the, the, the last six to eight weeks of the competition, um, you know, and, 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 and how much we fell away after being so competitive for so long, um, you know, it, it, it should be, as, as, you, um, as you touched on there, John, it should fuel the fire. Now, the biggest surprise... The teams that got into the finals this year that weren't there last year, the Broncos, the Warriors, the Knights, and we got a big surprise with with them, the the, the achievement that we didn't expect, um, or are they, were they, did you think that all of them were going to go a bit better this year? I mean, among the top four? Or just the top eight in general? Yeah. Just uh, top eight in general. I mean, I mean uh, look, I, I, if I if I started off, um, I think there was always the chance that the Broncos were going to were going to have a really mm, good yeah, year yeah, with the, uh, the, such talented players. The Warriors again um, was expecting improvement, wasn't expecting them to finish up where they did. The Knights, no, I expected the Knights were going to be Knight, rubbish. Knight, so Knights are massive overachievers. They they are on a hot streak that potentially surpasses Parramatta in 09. I think that. Parramatta in 09 probably played a more 
difficult brand of football to stop. Um, but Newcastle have won what eight straight, nine straight coming into the finals. Nine straight. Yeah, so like they're, they're doing some phenomenal stuff. And it comes back to the conversation we had, which also harkens to what Parramatta went through. Confidence is so much in this game. Newcastle were yeah. were not odds on because West Tigers and Dragons exist and the Bulldogs exist, but they were legitimate spoon contenders two uh, two thirds through the season, like legitimate spoon yeah. contenders. And then they they won nine straight. They they were at five wins. They're on 14 wins now. Five wins and a draw because they draw for Manly. Uh, like I said, more more likely to win the spoon than make the top eight from there. And yet here we are. They've yeah. massively overachieved. Well done to everyone involved. O'Brien, Ponga, the entire playing crew and coaching staff there. Obviously done some great things. And, you know, they obviously want to go all the way to fit to the grand final and win it. But even if things flame out somewhere between here and then, which is a good chance that it will happen given the caliber of some of their opponents in these big games. But... It's you know going to be a legendary ride for all of them. I think the Warriors overachieved. With the Warriors, Newcastle 100. What they're doing is not sustainable. I think they're going to drop mm. back next year massively. Uh, maybe be fringe Agreed. top eight contenders. The Warriors, I'm keen to see through this final series and into next year who they really are, because uh, the new coach Webbs has done a fantastic job instilling some discipline and competitive drive into them. Uh, are they this year's Cowboys though? Were they the beneficiaries of a softer draw? Mm. Uh, can they be you know? Repeat top four contenders, have to wait and see, but they're definitely big surprises. Penrith for Penrith. Brisbane, well, they finally, they've been waiting to pay out dividends on the talent in that squad for years. So this is where they needed to be. They got there. Uh, Sharks, I thought they were pretty pretty ordinary this year, if I'm going to be really honest. I think they were the beneficiaries of another soft draw. Uh, Roosters, they, I mean, I know they, they didn't limp into the finals because they won the game, like a few games in a row, but in the context of a season, they limped into the finals and massively underachieved. And the Raiders, well, I think they're foreign against there's everything about that team and the fact that they won tight and lost big. So they're, you know, well done on making the eight. And, and, the, and the draw again. And, and again, mm. beneficiaries of a softer draw. And one day, one of these years, Parramatta will get A, a draw <laughs> Raiders are relatively soft in scheduling, and B, not completely cooked in terms of scheduling, in terms of uh, five-day turnarounds, facing teams off buys, getting at least one origin buy among some of our gripes there. But... Yeah, I think the, the top eight's pretty interesting. Um, Melbourne did well to finish in third, I think, as well. They uh, had a few challenges this year as, uh, in their roster. But, yeah, big big surprises, Newcastle and the Warriors, for differing reasons, though. Uh, Clint, have you got anything you want to add? Yeah. Um, it, Newcastle won't replicate what they've done um, next year. They won't replicate that. Um Particularly when you're a side that has form like this, you know, um, when you're in the middle of the hot streak, you know, there's only so much you can do to stop it. And, and it ultimately takes a, a, a team that is just fundamentally better than them um, to stop it. Because anyone that's sort of e- just evenly matched, or even if you've got a good side that's sort of down on form, if you come up against a side that's got the type of form the Knights have at the moment, they're, they're almost cannon fodder for a team that has that much of a roll on. Um, but once they come up against a side that's just fundamentally better and and been there and done that and, and, and can handle them. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll go out. We'll talk about how um, all throughout the offseason about how they're going to want to build on, the, on, on what they achieved this year. And I think ultimately it's going to go down like a lead balloon and, and, and they'll come back to the pack and when like, it matters. You know, partic- Sorry, go, go ahead. Jordan. I was going to say, and like in 2009 with the Jared Hayne and Daniel Mortimer chip kicks were always finding Parramatta players. Uh, mm-hmm. I watched that game against the St. George Dragons on the weekend and there were defle- like really poor kicks in the front line on attacking the goal line that were deflecting straight into hands of the kicker or supporting runners. Like, it is amazing yeah. when you are hot 
how much the, the bounce of the football. Comes up Millhouse. Yeah, exactly. Everything comes up Millhouse mega. So I mean, I've I've really enjoyed watching this run. I'm not I'm not going to shit on the Newcastle Knights. I'm going to enjoy if no, they go deep into all. the finals. It's just we more than any other club in the NRL, we know exactly what sort of run they're on and how far it can take you, which is the grand final. Mm-hmm. And you know, we always talk about it, but in '09 the Eels should have won. Uh, if they were in a fair in a fair competition, they would have won. And there's lots of arguments about whether they should have been awarded the trophy post uh, findings. But any uh, any other team, I think they win that game, which means Newcastle do have a chance. Uh, but mm. but if you meet the Penrith Panthers or the Brisbane Broncos uh, in particular, but also the Melbourne Storm and maybe the Warriors, we if we find out a bit more about them in the next two weeks, uh, they could play the sort of football that really spoils those red hot teams. And yeah, be interesting to see how far Newcastle can go on the back of confidence, on the back of Ponga, um, you know, all, all the you know sort of role players contributing well above their pay grade, and then you know the various highly paid players finding ways to make big plays. Mm. Well, we're oh, gonna we're gonna offer our we're gonna offer our tips in just a moment for all of the games. Uh, but before we get to that, a couple of things I did want to talk about because they do affect the uh, finals football. First of all, the five match ban on Seb Chris from the Warriors uh, from the, uh, the Raiders uh, that was an awful tackle. Um, did they get the five weeks right, or did that it's, come in a bit lighter than we thought? Commensurate with what, lighter. It's commensurate with what Nathan Cleary got for Dylan Brown, right? He took five weeks yeah. with the plea. I think it's half of what it should be. That that is legitimately mm-hmm. the worst tackle I've seen in decades. Um, there's been you know really dumb shit beyond that, like Hopalati doing the flying elbow on Keith Galloway, and that's I wouldn't call that a tackle. In terms of pure dangerous tackles, that was worse than what happened to Alex McKinnon. Like mechanically, that is one of the most dangerous tackles I've ever seen. And I'm I'm amazed that the player got up uninjured. Well, mm. let's let's make a let's make a comparison to um, Kennedy Cherrington. Now she just got a a four match ban, yeah. which in was a, in a nine week competition. Um, I know, yeah, in a nine week competition. So she's almost been put out for um, half a season. Now the equivalent for uh, an NRL player would have been. Um, sitting out for say twelve games, roughly. Yeah, I would have been happy uh, for ten or twelve games. I would have been happy for ten or twelve game suspension. There is no place for that. And yeah. I, I have no doubts the tackle wasn't made with malice. I don't think he intended to hurt him, but like I said, mechanically, one of the most dangerous tackles I've ever seen. If that was rugby union, he would have been instantly red carded, which he did get sent off. So, well, like fair play to the match officials there, uh, but he wouldn't have played for the rest of the year if that had been at the start of the year. They they would not tolerate it, it, that. If you want to see the worst tackle ever, um, go to YouTube and hit the Alan McMahon tackle on, uh, I can't remember the name of the Newtown player, but it was Balmain against Newtown. And he's legitimately picked him up in the air like a wrestling move and dropped him with force, like throwing him directly at the ground head first. And it is... Like when you see it happen, how there wasn't a broken neck and how he didn't actually, I mean, it looked like it was the most deliberate, I'm going to drive this bloke head first into the ground and I don't care the consequences. That's what it looked like. It may not have been what was running through his head and it was a different era because it was back in the 70s. Mm. But in all seriousness, if you want to look at a scary tackle, 
that's the one. It's out and it's it's there floating around on YouTube. Right. Alan McMahon's tackle. I, so. I, I haven't seen that tackle, obviously, but I didn't watch this game, the, the Cronulla Sharks and the Canberra Raiders on Sunday. I had other things better to do with my time than watch Canterbury play. I'm sorry, <laughs> watch our, those two teams play, not Canterbury, but watch them play. So I saw the highlight when I was browsing Reddit and uh, like I was like, oh, how, like send off tackle, how bad could this be? And I, like, I, I audibly went, oh my God, when I saw that tackle. Um, so, like I said, it's the worst tackle I've seen mechanically in decades. I five weeks seems Junior Barlow got what eight weeks? Was it for the Matt Bowen? Nine uh, weeks. I think, I think it was nine. Nine, nine weeks. Yeah. Eight nine weeks. Uh, and I, you know, okay, fine. But how did this get five weeks? This is incredible. What what a complete blown assignment from the MRC. Um, yeah. And like I said, I don't think Seb Chris had any malice or intent to hurt. But the fact is he got it wrong, and he got it wrong as bad as you're going to get it wrong in the modern era. And, mm. yeah, five weeks for that. Like you said, Kennedy Carrington for a, a, also a dangerous tackle. I'm not going to say Kennedy didn't do the wrong thing there. Uh, but the the balance of uh, or the scales of justice have not been balanced properly there, have they? No, no, not at all. Uh, Clint, I'd like to get your takes first on this because it comes up every year. And it's the finals venues debate, and again, again, it's again, it's the sharks. The sharks have a home ground which cannot hold more than thirteen thousand. It is ridiculous that that's their home ground for the normal season matches, as it is. They, I don't know financially how this works for them. Um, I would have thought that they would lose money on a weekly basis having to stage. Mm-hmm. NRL games in a ground which can only hold 13,000 people. Uh, it's Down there, it's a construction zone. I don't think the ground can actually be any bigger now. I think that's, I think that's its limitation. I mean, unless they went, um, uh, you know, directly... Um, I'm trying to think what direction it would be. Um, south, would it be, the, to where their hill is? But whatever, whatever direction that is is the only way that they can expand the ground because they've got... Um, Not much built out. land there, isn't it? it? It is. I mean, they've got development all around it now. So, um, oh, yeah. So, so but, I mean, but the, the hill area there, it, it, it backs onto the um, the water and in between the water, there's, I'm pretty certain, there's a little bit of swamp land. Yeah, like marsh, so I don't yeah. There, there, is, there is like an uh, oceanic marsh or coastal marsh, whatever you call it there. Yeah, so even in that direction, there isn't that. There probably isn't that much further they can go. I think they're fixed where they are. Yeah, they they probably would have to have a complete knockdown of that and look at a at a configuration where they're going up, because Mm. that's that's the only way that they could get uh, a bigger crowd in there. But um, as I said, the debate comes up every year when the Sharks get a home final and only 13,000 people can attend. And it basically means that not only is it likely that visiting supporters aren't going to get tickets, but even their own fans are going to miss out on tickets. Um, Look, I I don't think... The only way to avoid this is to say that home final... Either home finals don't apply or and that the NRL reserves a right to stage it elsewhere or you just say that there is a minimum standard you can have home mm. finals but there has to be a minimum standard for the ground i think there should be a minimum standard for the ground for nrl 
period. Like, I don't think 13,000 pass muster for an NRL venue. It just doesn't. And it is an ordinary ground on top of it. It's not like it is this 13,000 elite boutique stadium. It is a ground rooted in the 1970s with a hill. If you've got a if you've got a hill at NRL venues, you are rooted in the seventies still, and uh, that's a thirteen thousand ground where probably the majority of supporters. You're telling me about Leichhardt Oval isn't the eighth wonder of the world? <laughs> Don't get me started on Leichhardt, but you know what? Uh, let's just hit is... the pause button on Leichhardt for a second. Like, <laughs> would you but, say that yeah, Leichhardt like is a better better venue than Shark Park for a final? Oh. Jeez, I mean, the, the, like, I haven't been to Shark Park for years now because... Shark Park it, is slight, has slightly better egress. That's probably the one thing it's got <laughs> in its favour. Slightly better. Look, the I'm not a... You know I'm not a fan of Leichhardt Oval because it's also, as far as facilities are concerned, it's, it's deplorable. As far as access is concerned, it's deplorable. Um... Shark Park is, is now a construction zone for a start, so that's got issues in itself. But they, they you, look, personally, I think it's embarrassing to have finals matches staged. It is, at, and to be honest, to be honest, like Craig, it's, it, I agree with your point in terms of NRL games as well. Um, there absolutely needs to be a minimum standard. Uh, home finals are earned and they're deserved, but you have to meet that minimum standard. And it might actually give some of these clubs an impetus and reason to actually try and um, do something about this, their, their current stadium situation. Uh, as you touched on before, they can't possibly be making money on this. I understand that they um, they they own their own stadium, um, you know, and and um, they're the only NRL club that does so. So people are like, oh, you know. What do you mean we're not making money? What, what, what we mean is it costs more money to run a game day than what you make in gate takings. That's what we mean yeah. when we say you can't be making money. And it's got limited and, and that's probably, there too. Clint, that's probably, that's probably the thing where they are, are probably able to make money in that they're not hiring the venue, that they yeah, own but the venue. But they've got the maintenance and ongoing costs of it. Yeah. You, know, yeah, and, you, you inherit um, all the upkeep of owning a stadium as well, so... Absolutely. And they, they, I was just about to say, they've also got limited corporate facilities there. And some of them, they're, they're, they're great. Now, there might be something built in with the lease club development as a part of this plan. But, you know, um, renders, and I, I get that they're only renders, but the renders suggest that it's just open courtyard space from the lease club. Whether they choose to cordon that off and make it a game day experience, I don't know. There'll probably be some, someone with some whiz-bang marketing idea that, that tries to make something that's not really a thing a thing there. Um, but you know, it, it, it just thinks that they're not being any real um, um, proper planning behind this, and no actual stadium strategy behind this. And um, and you know, the the, the Sharks fans um, should be suffering the consequences of that because thirteen thousand is not enough. Um, it, it's it's a joke to be perfectly honest. It's it, in the twenty first century and being um, one of the elite sports in this country, we need to be aiming higher. And the Sharks as an organisation need to be aiming higher. And you know, they are where they are, but and you know, I would like to see some type of um, meaningful action and plan towards rectifying this in the future because this shouldn't even be a debate. You know, um, the fact of the matter is we've, we've spent 
um, you know, what is it, about $850 million on, on the Sydney football team. And I get it. It's the it's the Roosters' home ground, inverted commas. It's a neutral setting that the Roosters play out of. And yes, it's their spiritual home. But the way you manage that for a for a finals game is how you manage the ticketing window and the purchase opportunity for fans to attend that game. You have um, forty eight the first forty eight to seventy two hours of tickets being available made exclusively to Sharks members and fans. Then you open it up to Roosters members and fans after that point, and then um, you know they have an, an, an extra twenty four hours an exclusive window. To then then you go general public after that. That then that, that, that shows and um, rewards the Sharks for finishing higher and having that inverted commas home final, giving their fans the opportunity to attend. And then it's open slather after that point if they don't take advantage of that opportunity. We've got the stadium there to um, um, serve um, and, and, and um, that's suitable for the occasion of which this game is. Um, we shouldn't be bothering with Shark Park for a finals game, and to be perfectly honest, to echo your points before 60s, um, we should start moving away from it from regular season fixtures as well. Yeah, and look, I understand the challenge that's there for the Sharks because they're not going to get government funding. Well, they shouldn't receive government funding for a ground that they own, right? Now, all the other, all these other grounds that have received government funding, like uh, Combank Stadium and like uh, Penrith, uh, Penrith Stadium will receive there and and like down at the Roosters, they are owned and operated by independent bodies uh, and and some of the other grounds are council owned grounds, right? So if money goes into them, they're public, they're publicly owned. Well, when I mean publicly owned, I mean that it's it is it's not a they're not a venue where it's going to go into the into the they're not owned by the club, by the rugby league clubs. They're the home ground where the clubs lease the ground, but they Correct. don't own them. Now, you, if you pumped three hundred million dollars into Shark Park, you are handing over three hundred million dollars to the Cronulla Sharks. That's what that amounts to, because they then own that. They can mm-hmm. they can use that venue for concerts or what have you, and the revenue goes to them. You, that is that is an, an uneven playing field in that regard, right? So that, um, you know, when you've got, if you've got a, a stadium trust or whatever that, or, um, you know, companies that, that take over the running of a stadium that's owned by the government, it's, it's a whole different, a whole different uh, proposition to an individual rugby league club owning their ground so when they own their ground they have that advantage that there's uh, lessened costs because they're not having to hire the venue but by the same token the the disadvantage is that they have to find their own funding and come up with the money themselves to upgrade the ground and that's where their challenge is going to be and i feel for shark supporters in that regard but it's sort of like well you know, they went through a long period of time where they didn't have any money to be able to upgrade their ground. Uh, they've managed to get the um, development that's going on down there with the land that they own. Maybe they should have looked to get a developer kick in to do some development of the stadium as part of the general precinct and, development. Absolutely, and- that's a, it, it's a it's a massive missed opportunity there. And to be honest, it borders on mismanagement that there wasn't 
that type of give and take in in the development. I understand that developers like to put propositions forward and it's a take it or leave it offer. And sometimes when you're desperate, yeah, um, you, you have to take those deals. But they, they they gave away their biggest asset in doing, it, and that's their land. They should have at least let a, let there be a clear zone within these um, developments that could facilitate some form of stadium growth. Well, who knows? Uh, through all that development that's down there and their investment in that development, it may be that the, the revenue stream allows them at some point in the future to be able to develop that ground. But when the when debate was on about um, the stadium strategies and which grounds were going to be upgraded, I could never believe that they were including Shark Park in that because of the fact that it is privately owned. If they wanted to get it developed, then I think... It should be a case of they hand it, they hand the ground to the government and say, "Okay, Agreed. we'll Agreed. sell you the ground. We'll set, not hand it to them, but we'll sell you the ground. Then the government owns it, and the government can spend money on it. And then it's then it's a public, uh, it's publicly owned. It's not privately owned by uh, by the sharks. And and maybe that might be the compromise that they come up with in the future. Okay, fellas, let's finish off with our uh, finals tips." And uh, we'll just go straight out with the uh, winners. If you want to give a little bit of detail, that's okay. But uh, let's just get the winners out there. Uh, John, Broncos and Storm. I'm going going Broncos. They've got to break the hoodoo at some point. If you're not going to break it now, you might as well never break it. Um, That team is... uh, Melbourne's, you know, finished the season well, but the Brisbane team is just electric. Uh, 1-17. to Interesting that Jesse Arthur's won out over Corey Oates on the wing. Um, I don't know if that gives, you know, a, an edge to the storm in terms of the ability to rock the ball out, maybe. Um, Arthurs is a good player, but Oates is an you know, absolute truck when it comes to carting the ball up. But outside of that, I mean, the, the, their team is so good. Stags, Farnworth, Cobbo, Mam is outstanding at 5'8". Obviously, the veteran and Reynolds, their pack is outstanding. Their bench is uh, pretty deep as well. So I'm going to go um, not Penrith, Brisbane to win this one. Yeah, Clint. Yeah, likewise, Broncos in a tight one, and um, yeah, I I think um, there's a lot to like about the Broncos side this year. Yeah, I I can't go past the Broncos. I think the Storm have been a little bit inconsistent. Um, I'll just get a quick indication now for who Yoko's going for: Broncos or Storm? There you go. There's Yoko's tip: uh, Panthers and Warriors. John. Uh, Penrith by, I think, a pretty handy win here. I think the Warriors have been really good this year. Um, Maybe they can win the week after, uh, but Penrith at Penrith after, I know know they played another game after, but after what we did to them in the penultimate round of the regular season, they're going to be big time fired up for this one to get the week off um, because they didn't get the week off last week. And yeah, I think the Warriors will be gutsy and maybe be competitive for a bit, but yeah, Penrith by a good margin at the end. Clint? Yeah, likewise, Penrith. Um, I think they're going to, the Warriors are going to learn a little bit about what it means to take the next step here. And I don't mean that in a positive way. Like John, I see um, the last 20 minutes um, showing the Warriors that they've got a little bit more work to do to be a competitive side in the finals at the end, uh, a, a real premiership threat. Yeah, I think it's been a great year for the Warriors, but I'll tip the Panthers by about 20 points. Yoko? There you go. Um, Sharks versus Roosters, John? Uh, ooh. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> phew, 
Sharks uh, in and probably it's probably be a close game, uh, but yeah, it feels like the it feels like the winner of this game is just fodder for whoever loses in week one from the top four. Yep, Clint. Uh, agreed. The Sharks by the slightest of margins, and that'll uh, give rise and cause to a number of articles that would debate what we just discussed in around the stadium, and that it was the right decision to play it there, um, or for them to be cannon fodder for whoever it is they play the week following. I'm going to go with the Roosters. I think that they've got just enough uh, big name players that they'll be able to get this done. Yoko. Come on, time's money. Sorry. Uh, up the Roosters. Yeah, was that, that was a little was bit that up the Roosters late. or up the Roosters? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going uh, not... to choose to hear the one I want to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Knights versus Raiders, John. Um, well, I, I think it's going to be Newcastle by a pretty healthy margin here. They're just they're running too hot. Raiders are, well... <laughs> their points, like I said earlier, their points differential says everything about them. No Seb Chris, who's been one of their better players as well this year. Um, yeah, I, I think the rate, the Raiders, the the Knights, and by probably the biggest margin in the finals week one. Clint, um, look, I, I think the Knights will get the job done. I don't think it'll be um, as much of a blowaway as maybe John's suggesting. I, I, I can see some of those um, Knights players who probably aren't used to being in a position of having a week off and like were rested maybe not um, firing straight away. They'll finish on top and, and get the win in the end. But I can see a spirited Raiders side going uh, going out there and not too dissimilar to the Panthers-Warriors tip, um, Newcastle then blowing them away late. Yeah, I don't know which Raiders team is going to turn up. It's either going to be the spirited team who, who um, either just win or just lose, or it's going to be that rank-awful team that's turned up plenty of times this year who get their asses spanked. Um, I'll go for, I'll, I'll, I'll go for them to get a flogging. Yoko. There we go. Okay, fellas, that brings us to the end of another, uh, news slash preview podcast. Hopefully people enjoyed us getting into our tips for the NRL final series. Once again, our thanks to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf at North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. Thank you to our listeners. And we've been receiving, fellas, I haven't passed this on to you yet, but we've been continuing to receive some really kind uh, messages now that the season's wrapped up with uh, people uh, getting in touch and thanking us for the podcast during the year. So I'll pass that on to you now. And thank you for another uh, terrific effort tonight. So well done. And uh, apart from all of that, we've got that flag game this week. So make sure that you either tune into the live stream and definitely get onto our uh, blog that we'll be providing this weekend. Go, you mighty eels.